1: God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, if we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Thus the of Apostle John lays out a very clear message. God is light, and in him is no darkness. Our task as believers is to walk in the light, to be with fellowship with our Lord. His word to mind us uh, to confess our sins that we would not deceive ourselves by walking in Christ. Have this, this morning we will turn our attention to a, to a little you known minor prophet Obadiah. This is the fourth book of the are prophets. So that if you if you remember your Bible sequence, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Uh, for those of you who have a few Bible like, in front of you, you can find it on page 752. To sum up and get started, Obadiah is a prophecy of judgment. It's a, prophecy, it's a message of encouragement and hope for the people of God. How can both of these things in the true? Judgment and a message of hope and encouragement. That's what we'll be looking at today. For those not familiar with the let me give you a few introductory uh, comments. First, it was written by the prophet Obadiah. So he doesn't tell us in the letter who his father and mother are, from what uh, from whom he descended. So to complicate matters, Obadiah is also a very common name uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. There are at least ten other Obadiahs there. Uh, it's not a name that we find in the 21st century very much, but it was relatively common in European times, obviously. So what is the major message of the book of Obadiah? And we'll be getting into the text in just a moment. As we'll soon see, the message of the book is the judgment of Edom. The judgment of Edom. And these were the descendants of Esau, who we heard about in our scripture readings this morning, both from Genesis and from Romans. About the time of this writing, Edom had split away from Judah and recognized their own king. And in 2 Kings 8, he learned that Jehoram, king of Judah, did not attempt to reclaim the rebel Edom, or did attempt to reclaim the rebel Edom, but was not successful. So think of this as a, as a split in the middle of the Second Kings. As we heard the Old Testament reading today, this situation that we've come to in Obadiah does not come out of nowhere, and in fact was defined and decided by God providentially and sovereignly before the foundation of the world. There would be a difference, there would be something unusual about the like twins issues there. God did reveal just a bit of that plan to her. So one more thing, just so you can't tell the players it without a scorecard, Edom is where the Edomite, Edomites live, and they are the descendants of Esau, of Edom and Esau. Where's that in the Genesis chapter? Judah. Where the Jews live and are the descendants of Jacob. So, Judah, Jacob. You'll see that Obadiah actually uses Esau, Jacob, and Esau interchangeably with, with Judah and Edom. So, don't get confused by that. Don't, don't be wedded literally to the wooden meaning of those words. Rather, just understand the interchangeably. So, now, onto the text of of Obadiah, let's bow our heads in a moment of prayer before we read God's word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have included Obadiah as one of the 66 books of your inspired word. We pray that our time today in Obadiah would be profitable, that we would love you more, that we would understand you more, and understand better what you have for us today. In Jesus' name. The Vision of Obadiah Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We've heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, you will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock. In your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves come to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed would they not steal only enough for themselves? If raiders came to you, would they not leave leans? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread, that set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, where is the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Ammon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruins. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near on all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they have never been, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there Shall be those who escape, and it shall be hot, it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord spoke. Those of the Neiah shall possess them, Esau and those of the Sarephaloth shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of the hosts of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as the Zarephiah. and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sarephaloth shall possess the cities of Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Thus the reading of God's story. So as we rewind back to the first of this very short book, verse number one establishes exactly what this is. This is a key to understanding how it is that everyone knew this was the inspired word of God, because this was the vision of Obadiah that the Lord said, the Lord God said concerning Edom. It's very clearly making a claim to be inspired by God. The first two-thirds of the book provides us with context. With ge- about the general judgment, and list specific charges against Edom. What did they do? The last third is more future-oriented prophecy. What will be happening in the future, in the next? Who knows how long? We, we know because we have the benefit of history. But who knows how long will it be before these prophetic statements are fulfilled? So in verse 1, the very clear statement, thus says the Lord. This is inspired. Then in verses 3 and 4, we learn that the Edomites lived in caves, caves that were carved on the side of mountains. Now, if you think about a a culture that is nearly 3,000 years ago, if you think about their equivalent of skyscrapers, this was the end. They lived in high places, and in fact, the sandstone—it looks like sandstone—that was there was was carvable. They made their homes in the side of the cliffs so they could overlook the valley. That was the posh real estate of the day. That was the high rent district. I don't know if you've ever understood this, but. There's, there's quite a difference in the property value of a home that looks at the ocean when you compare that to homes that are half a mile from the ocean. It's three or four or 10 times as expensive to live on the ocean as as far. The same is for Edom. They have the, the best location here, and they are portrayed not because they had that location, not because they were wealthy, not because they had a home in the right place. They were portrayed and understood to be arrogant because they could look down from their lofty mountain to the homes of farmers and shepherds who were working on the plains below. So here's a question that we can think about ourselves. Were they arrogant as a result of their achievements? which might be pride, which might be related to that? Or did their arrogance actually drive their achievements? You know, we think back to the story of Genesis 25 that we heard in the scripture reading about Esau and about how he he was a go-getter. He was a hunter. He was getting things done, not so much for Jacob. I wonder if that um, was a part of the, the temperament of the Edomites they took back from their ancestor Esau. So, although we can, there's no way to know what was the cause and what was the effect, it was very clear that God united them for the sin of Aaron. And so Obadiah comes to the camp then with a prophetic message from God. You know how your confidence is based on being well fortified. Be powerful because of where you live. I will bring you down because of your arrogance. and I will not just inflict harm. This destruction will be comprehensive. going will get into the details at moments. So, one more note on this: there are many examples in the whole of the New Testament of narrow judgments and narrow targets—individuals and in cities. This was a whole people. These were the cousins of Jacob. As we move on to verses 5 to 7, we learn a bit about the extent of the judgment. So this is, this is that part of the passage. As thieves came to you and robbers by night, oh, how, how will you be ruined? Will they not sleep only until they have enough? Here the concept is that when most theft takes place, the thief has in mind, I'd like to choose the things of value from this home. Get in, get out, not be discovered, and not have to work very hard. You don't find thieves unbolting um, cabinets. inhabitants. You don't find thieves rolling refrigerators out of homes. You find thieves looking for high-value jewelry. That is not the kind of destruction and devastation that is prophesied here. This is very different than the opportunistic thief. This destruction will be comprehensive. It will be the whole home, completely empty, by analogy. Secondly, we often think sometimes about how important it is that we are among friends, maybe among neighbors. Do you know the names of your neighbors? Have you ever uh, had a nice conversation with them? Have you ever had them over for a meal? Do you know the names of their children? Do you have friends in the world? Well, the Edomites did. In fact, they were people of high, stature and high, uh, high calling uh, in their own mind. And they have many friends, both locally and across borders. And yet, in the passage, it's very clear that they will not be able to rely on their friends. All the people alive with you will send you to the border, and the people at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. Even your friends will not be there when you eat that. Those who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. You will be betrayed. Not only will you lose everything, but you will also be betrayed by those who you fought for your friends. This is an incredible loss that is being um, prophesied here for the Israelites. Even further, that's not all. Even further in verse 8, we learn that will I not on that day, declares God, to eliminate wise men from even an understanding from the mountain of Esau. My understanding of this passage is that those who helped construct the economic system that was so successful for the Edomites, those who might might have been strong in government, those who might have been strong in healing, those who might have been strong in education, those thinkers, those wise, those who had understanding, they will no longer be a part. Think of, think of what the, the progression that the listener might be going through if you're an I'm going to lose everything. All of my friends are going to desert or turn me in. And the only hope of rebuilding is those who have helped us get here in the first place, and they will be no more. So again, the depth and the breadth of the destruction that is coming their way because of their arrogance uh, leaves no stone in turn. pause just for a moment and say that you, you might be familiar, if you read your Old Testament you might be familiar, that this is not the only oracle. It is not the only prophecy against the Edomites that we find in the Old Testament. In fact, seven other prophets also include oracles against Edom: Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all, the, all major prophets, and then, in addition to Obadiah, Joel, Amos and Malachi all have prophecies that address um, the Edomites. So, at the heart of the Edomites' problem here was arrogance. Sin problem was arrogance and pride. The same problem that the Apostle Paul addresses in First Corinthians four seven. I am uh, I'm particularly attracted to verses in the Bible that help me to think through things from a principled perspective and might apply in a number of different situations. If I could leave you with one of those today, it would be 1 Corinthians 4-7, and I'll read it in part. What do you have that you do not receive? Here we are to be grateful each day and acknowledge that everything that we have, not just the food on our table, not just the, the home in which we live, not just maybe the car that we drive, but everything we have we received from God. And that that should draw us to praise and thanks. So 1 Corinthians 4-7 is a really helpful sort of um, antidote for the problem of the Edomites. We then move into a a completely different section of the prophecy. This middle section, the verses 9 through 14, are the list of specific charges against the Edomites. These specific charges, I don't think I don't think we need to plumb the depths of each one of them, but let me summarize them for you. Take them out of the poetic and the prophetic words that we read, and let me just make them more plain. In verses 9 to 14, the Edomites are presented with these charges that include don't look down on their brethren, don't rejoice because of their destruction, don't boast when they're in trouble, don't march through the gates, don't look down on them, don't steal from them, don't murder them, don't turn them in. These are things that, that we understand to be the case from many, many other teachings of Scripture, and yet these specific charges were leveled against the Edomites because of how they treated Judah. There's a saying that, from a, that I looked up from a 16th century English reformer, John Bradford, that comes to mind. And it's a paraphrase of, of something that we find in the Bible there but for the grace of God go on. When we read about the evil and the, and the perversion of Eden, one of the things that I would recommend we you through is there but for the grace of God go on. We are to be thankful that God has not allowed us. He has intercepted our course to arrogance and pride in that way. He's given us the Spirit. He's given us a great salvation and a hope that is already determined for us. So praise the Lord for that. But there, but for the grace of God alone. One more comment about this long list of charges, but I think it's important sort of in, in interpreting different parts of the Bible and understanding them different ways. I think it's not the right direction to take this list of charges and to start to think about them as a list of commands that we need to sort of make into laws for ourselves for each of our lives. We should understand them in their context. This is what God held against the Edomites. Now, do we see parallels between these comments or between these, these indictments and what we are to do Based on the rest of the Old and New Testament, absolutely, we should not be surprised at that. But to take these and to try them out of their context in Obadiah and apply them as laws for our lives, I don't recommend that that understanding. Then we move to the last section. Now, in different traditions, this might be the section that everybody was waiting for. Why? Because in verses 15 through 21, we have future prophecy, specific things that are going to take place that are completely unexpected if you were were back in the time of the writing of Obadiah. This destruction was prophesied, and it was prophesied that they would be destroyed in this comprehensive way for these reasons but then it just leaves open the possibility. With enough time. What's going to happen to the Eagleites? That question is answered in some detail here. And those who have the detail of this fulfilled prophecy, uh, the likes of their Tyler kind of dealership that done a fantastic job of this, by the way, have essentially said the following. I'll, I'll get you right to the punchline and we won't go through the detail. Every single detailed prophecy. Was fulfilled in about the 600 years that followed the prophecy. But it took time. These things did not all happen the next day, or in the next week, or in the next year, or in the lifetime of those who first knew what even who Obadiah was. It was hundreds of years later, but in the end, these were completely and utterly fulfilled. So rather than, well, let me have us reflect a little bit on this, this pattern that we see. The sovereign God, who in Genesis 25 knew that all of this was going to happen, so this is not a surprise, this is part of God's redemptive plan for his creation. But he defined justice. He defines love. He defined how he's going to punish injustice. And so God very well used us today in the 21st century to bring about justice. There are many things that we can do with our daily lives and and in our communities to bring about justice. But justice ultimately is God's responsibility. And justice ultimately will take place, even if not in our lifetimes. So there's a sense in which we need to be a bit patient and we need to wait on God for Him to be out. It's his path and pattern of justice. Secondly, we do sometimes have a occasion for celebration where evil is tried where wrong is right, and we should celebrate and rejoice. But the thing we, we Ought not to do it is what we're penalized for. If you play throw that funny shape ball on Sunday, excessive celebration will draw a penalty. Excessive celebration is not what we're called to do. We are called to celebrate and rejoice and give God the glory, not to excessively rub it in the nose of others that I won and you lost. My team won. And lastly, regardless of what was motivating the the Edomites to do what they were doing, they were clearly not a people of faith. And it could be that some of their grasping and hard working was based on fear. And it would be important and helpful for us to understand that there is a dichotomy between faith and fear. If you ask anyone on the street, what's the opposite of, of fear, what the, most people say, oh, it's being cur- courageous, it's being brave. The Bible has a different view of that. The Bible's view of that is that fear is the absence of faith. It could be that that was part of what was going on in, in the lives of the Edomites. It could be that's what's going on in our lives today something that is maybe helpful for us here Father. Let's close with there. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the prophet Obadiah. We are thankful for your spirit and his inspiration. Father, we pray that we would be found faithful, that we would love you with our lives, that we would bless others with the good things that you've given us. Father, we pray that we would not be found to be arrogant, but rather we would be found to be humble and thankful to you for all that you've given to us. We so, found the Lord's table this morning. We from First Corinthians. 12 and 12, 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body fill many of on one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all remain to drink of this one spirit. The gifts of God for the people of God we invite the lord's table all those who have been baptized under the authority of christ and his body of the church by eating the bread and drinking wine with us you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of god and that you are trusting in jesus christ alone for salvation (coughs) come with your children welcome to the lord jesus christ
0: and blessings.